Welcome back, everybody. It's time for Customers Who Click. I've got another amazing episode lined up for you today, and we're going to be hearing from the Customer Acquisition Manager at Virgin Pure. As I'm sure you're aware, Virgin is one of the biggest brand names out there, so it's going to be really interesting to hear about how a business can leverage that brand reputation for growth. As a reminder, do head over to the Customers Who Click website where you can get access to over 50 actionable tips to help your business today, as well as the summaries and audio of the other 79 episodes of the podcast. Let's hear from Chris Hahn now. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining me today. Um, do you mind just quickly introducing yourself? Um, give us a, a very quick uh, kind of background and uh, how you've got to where you are at Virgin Pure. Yeah. So uh, my name is Chris. I work in marketing. I'm the customer acquisition manager at Virgin Pure. Um, before then, I've worked across a range of B2B, B2C uh, businesses in sort of the insurance space, um, other e-commerce businesses, uh, AI for banks and stuff like that. Um, I joined Virgin Pure about six months ago now, um, born to sort of really supercharge their growth in the digital space. Um, and that's what I'm sort of here to talk about today. Cool. Sounds good. Um, do you want to just very quickly, uh, like elevator pitch, what is Virgin Pure? Just for those who might not know. So Virgin Pure is a home water system that plugs into your mains. Um, it then filters and purifies the water uh, with a sort of market-leading filtration system and UV purification system. Uh, and then you can get it uh, chilled, boiling, there's sort of a range of 50 temperatures you can set it at. Um, and sort of it's an all-in-one hydration solution for the home for people who are fed up at home to refill their other brand filters and stick them in the fridge for it to cool, or people who are sick of spending thousands of pounds a year on bottled water and clogging up the ocean with more plastic. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. Yeah, I think there's um, there's another one that kind of sounds similar, but it's a natural tap. Um, I think it starts with an O, but yeah, I can't remember the name. Yeah, we'll just, it's Cooker. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, no, sorry, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, I mean, they'll set you back. The base one, which is, I think, just the whole was about 1,500. If yeah. you want all the bells and whistles, you're talking upwards of four or five grand. Our system will, at the moment, so we've got a bit of a special offer on, so it'll set you back about 280 quid, um, which you can split over 12 months, interest-free. And uh, then you just need to replace the filter every six months and UV lamp every year. So it's sort of better than your Brita, where you've got to replace it, well, every month, and heavy users probably even a bit more regular than that. Yeah, cool. Um, so let, let's get stuck in. So obviously you said you've been brought in to kind of supercharge the growth. So um, uh, it's a great place to start, really. What, um, what do you think has been the, the kind of biggest contributor to growth recently? It's, it's data. Um, pretty much being able to successfully use uh, data to start getting all of our paid and earned channels aligned and really working at their hardest, while also ensuring uh, on-site customer experience as best it can be from the first engagement to completed sale. And then also uh, beyond that as well. Um, it's, it's not an easy process. It takes a ton of data uh, and then you need to sift through it, analyze it to spot trends and little nuggets of information hidden away within it. Uh, and then use that to sort of inform changes you make or where to focus your budget. Um, and it's not just the data you collect uh, through first party systems such as you know Google Analytics, Facebook, Google Ads. It's also about weaving in sort of more external data to understand the impact of uh, other events, such as you know when paydays are, what the weather's been on your good days, you know when are the holiday people are on holidays, when are schools opened and closed, what's the construction season is a big one for us. Um, I mean, you need to be able to collate and merge all of this data together 
and then understand how to sort of effectively use what you learn to make small changes that can have a big impact uh generate that generate sales and also keep your costs down um because in my opinion it's not just about throwing money at every digital channel to see what sticks you've got to understand what you need to throw the money at to get the best results and there's no guarantee it'll work um but having insights that you can glean from all this data is um what being smart is all about is making sure um that you have the best chance of succeeding and that's what's really helped us to grow is you know, when I started, I started pulling all the data together and really started to look at how all of our channels are operating, um, rebuilt our paid search from the ground up, rebuilt our shopping and how that operates, uh, rebuilt um, how we sort of operate in the organic space as well. So uh, completely refreshed our blog area. Um, so yeah, it's sort of, it's an ongoing process and that's the thing, it's never finished. You never just finished analyzing the data because every day more data is coming in. Yeah. So um, just going back to some of that, that seasonality data. So are you using that to then kind of plan and make changes and tweaks to ads as they come up? Or are you kind of using it to go to say, you know, we, we can see we had this spike uh, a couple of weeks ago or maybe a, a, a big drop. And then looking back to understand what actually happened on during that period and how that might have affected things? Yeah, most definitely. It's, it's both. It's looking, okay, we had a good week. Uh, for example, we had a good week in June. Why, why was that week a standout week when we, you know, we hadn't really done much to impact? We hadn't chucked any more money at anything. We hadn't introduced any more channels. Why was it And then you look at, you overlay the temperature and sunlight, and it was the, the sort of period where it was the hottest and sunniest of the year. And you see the big spike and your conversion rates improve. So you look at, okay, what you've got to do is then um, for next year, because obviously we're turning to the, the dark, cold, wet days of autumn and winter. Yeah. So that is a bit useless at the moment. But for next year, you go, okay, we build out our programmatic advertising campaigns to say, okay, look at the forecast when you know it's going to be 30 plus day and it's going to be clear blue skies, pump the money into um the channels such as Facebook and paid search around sort of the specific um, groups that we know converted during that time. It's, it's all about, it's the short term and the long term. Um, so some of the stuff, so payday is short term. We always know that um, due to the price point of our solution, payday is a good day uh, or a good week really because you know, no one, not everyone gets paid on the same day. So we build out campaigns to sort of ramp up our emails, ramp up around that time. And that's obviously every month. So that's more than the short term. I said the long term is looking at the seasonality. Um, also, most people have construction done during um, the summer months. So they're sort of planning sort of around the winter autumn months and getting planned. So you kind of get in front of them then to get the brand awareness started. Yeah. Um, just on the, on the payday, do you see, is there a difference in uptake between uh, people just purchasing it or people spreading the cost over 12 months around payday? Actually, when it comes to that, I think even, I think payday mainly just impacts people purchasing it. Um, most people do spread the cost. I think, I mean, even myself personally, whenever I buy anything, if there's the option to spread the cost interest free, generally I'll do it because then if something does crop up and I'm suddenly, you know, I've got an unexpected vet bill or something like that, it's not just, 
like, oh, no, I just spent, you know, X amount on this new product in one lump sum. I, I know I spread it out the cost. So I, I'm sort of uh, making myself more proof against an unexpected bill. So I think that that has less, it's more just people in, they've got paid and they're more in the mind to spend that money. Uh, and you see it across, I mean, I've worked in other e-commerce places, it's exactly the same. It's always around that sort of the last week of the month and first week of the next month are always sort of your best times because that's when people are a bit flush with cash and they're more willing to spend on the bits they've been saving and bookmarking uh, during the previous month. Yeah, I suppose people build up a, a list of things. I suppose probably particularly with something like this, you know, I'm, I moved into a new house in June and I'm planning on redoing the kitchen. And as part of that, I'm also creating a list of all the other little bits that might need to go alongside it. So probably something like Virgin Pure. But actually now I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to have to rip up the kitchen, probably don't want to get Virgin Pure now. But if I'm redoing the kitchen, how can I maybe plan to integrate it better? Yeah. And also, I mean, on that, this question that's come back to that is uh, we do get a lot of people who decide to purchase and you can defer your install date because um, that's the thing is when you purchase it, it included in the price of the professional installation. Uh, and so when you're contacted by the team um, and you can sort of say, oh, uh, put, put a note on my file, I've got my kitchen being built in uh, you know, June, can you contact me in July? And, we'll put a note and then sort of we can go on then and people know they've got it in the bank. It's, um, they're obviously paying the instalments for it. Um, but the uh, but then they can sit on it and they know they've got it coming. It's not something they might then forget. And also some people yeah. do sort of build it in, okay, get you can deliver it. Um, and we can sort of understand how to fit it in to our kitchen plan. So, yeah, it's, it's funny, sort of, you can never just plan and say, this is how everyone's going to do it. It's every, you come across so many individual circumstances and you just got to be sort of prepared for it, really. Yeah, I think that flexibility is good. So I actually had a, a kind of similar experience with, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Virgin... Virgin Media when I when I got my broadband here because I've so uh, before I moved I got in touch to to say well you know I'm, I'm going to be moving into this place I need to order my broadband so that I've got it as quickly as possible and I think initially the online experience just said uh, you you can just order it and we'll send it out to you within the next uh, or you, you'll receive it on this date I think and it was it wasn't a choice it was just it's going to be this date. And that was about two days before I moved in. So I was like, well, I can't, I can't have a package delivered to the house that I, that I haven't moved into yet. So I phoned them up and then the guy was like, yeah, we can do it whenever. So we can either place that for you on, on the Saturday or if you just order it next week, you'll, uh, you'll be able to do it. So that flexibility then made, uh, made sure I actually completed the purchase. Um, yeah. And that was, done, that was done through chat uh, on the, during that checkout process as well. I didn't. I don't think I had to actually follow up at all. Yeah, um, I, I think we we so with our process, we have someone who calls you um, once you place the purchase or within twenty four hours or so, and that that's when you can have the conversation. But you, you know, I said we've got live chat on the website, which is something we've sort of integrated and pushed out more recently, not just for customers, but obviously as part of the whole um, journey through the website. Um, I think it's a massive digital touch point, and it, it's. It's live as well. It's not a chat bot, which is one of my biggest bugbears 
when dealing with any business online is, oh, there's live chat. Oh, I'll get to speak so I can put my like question that hasn't been directly answered and, oh, no, wait, it's just send us an email and we'll get back to you. It, 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 it sort of kind of slightly puts me against the brand from a start point. And I've, I know I've gone away from businesses and just like, oh, I can't be bothered. I wanted that. I had a specific question. You know, I want it answered now. I'm not going to send an email and wait. And then I've just not made the purchase in the end. I think we've tried to gear out very much towards there's someone there and they're, they're there outside of work hours. So, you know, again, coming on to you look at that 6 p.m. at night, we've got someone live that you can speak to. Now, I think guys go up until 10, 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, I would have thought this, you know, this isn't, isn't the sort of purchase you can quickly do at your desk. Well, uh, in, in between meetings or something, this is, and especially, you know, at the price point, potentially, it's the sort of thing you're going to re- do a bit of research on, save it for later. And then when you get home, complete that purchase. And if you want to speak to someone, or if you, if you think you might need to speak to someone, it's another reason for you to wait to make the purchase and do it yeah. outside work hours. So if you've got that live chat support, um, then that's fantastic. I actually, um, I was buying uh, buying a new tennis racket recently. Uh, went to a bunch of websites. Uh, apparently, the head website has a well, it does it has a um, like a, a find your racket thing, um, which unfortunately didn't work. I was I was rec- <laughs> recommended the website. The guy told me use that tool to find the racket, and then basically Google that racket alternatives, and then you can find <laughs> that, that'll tell you what racket you should use, and you can find alternatives. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't work. So I started doing other research on other sites. And I came across one that specifically had WhatsApp on the uh, in their header. So contact us by WhatsApp, um, speak to an ex- expert. I was like, this is great. Uh, I can either exchange a few messages with someone on, on WhatsApp or maybe just, just jump on a call and they can explain what sort of racket I should buy. Um, but they ignored it. Didn't get, didn't get a message back. Um, but yeah. Um, which, which really shocked me because I also wonder how many other people contact them because they want advice on how to actually select a racket and, and this company's just, uh, just ignoring them. Yeah. And yeah, now the thing is that you probably, uh, you yourself will have a negative attitude. And the thing is that when you have a good experience, you generally don't, unless it was something fantastic, you generally don't tell people the business I spoke to did what I expect. If you get the service you expect, you don't usually talk. Exactly. It's what, what you expect, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you just kind of naturally said it. Yeah. Um, but then if you have a negative experience, you know, people love to harp on about negative. I mean, I do it as well. If I have a negative experience, I'll bend anyone's ear back about it uh, that I can. And there is the sort of reverse word of mouth thing, which is why you've got to go above and beyond in some ways to try and get the positive word of mouth which is a, a big thing for us is like looking at the data we get a huge amount of um through word of mouth and with our friend referral scheme as well we get you know six seven people a day are purchasing through a friend referral link um which is you know when i've worked in other e-commerce businesses you know, people have got a product the product's done what they've expected and they you know Generally, when we've done polls and stuff, very few people have come said from friend recommendations because uh, I think you've got to provide something people weren't expecting for that to work. And I think that's a good thing about our product is we've got so many little bits and pieces that it does is people are, okay, it filters the water and then they get in like, oh, wow, the chilled water kind of, I can set it to whatever temperature, the boiling water comes out so I can just fill my pan with boiling water and, you know, good to go. It's perfect for teas. And I can set it so... You, know, you can set the temperature for the hot differently for 
tea or coffee or if you've got some specialist leaf that need doesn't need boiling water it needs that like close to boiling to get the right temperature i mean i've been learning all about that like you know i'm not a tea or coffee drinker so in my mind you know it was just boil kettle pour on yeah. bag, hand over to someone but i mean if you love your tea and you get the special leaves it's it's not as simple as that. Like there's you, some people like you've got to boil it and let, leave it for X amount of time to get to the right temperature to pour on, to get the right flavor. And I'm just like, that sounds like a lot of effort. And now people like, well, I can just press a button. And yeah. If, you, if all you've got is a kettle yeah. and you've got, you, you boil it and then you're thinking, right, I've got to wait 30 seconds for it to be the right temperature to use. Yeah. Maybe a minute. Whereas having a button to do it much easier. Um, Obviously, you've only been there six months, but it'll be really interesting to see whether you see that kind of similar trend in the cold months as you did with that week in in June, and whether when it when it's getting really cold, people will be like, oh, I just I don't want to have to boil the kettle every couple of hours for a cup of tea. I just yeah. want to go downstairs, press that button, and it's done. Yeah, massively. Um, it's something I'm actually very much looking forward to sort of seeing the data when it comes in, um, and as well, it's sort of already. We think about informing our creative decisions around it. So during the hot months, obviously, you don't want a load of ads that are going on about uh, with people in you know jumpers making hot chocolate and hot teas and coffees because it's not really where your mindset is. So you kind of that that data we talked about before also informs your creative decisions. So you know those programmatic hot ads you're going to build in with people cooling themselves off after doing something outside while. When it's cold, as it is starting to get now, you kind of you're hot. People sitting down with the mugs of coffee and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm very intrigued to see if that trend, like when there's a cold snap, and you're more likely to want a few more hot coffees to keep you warm. And we target people with advertising, saying, "Here's something you press a button, and you get your, you know, pretty much unlimited hot coffee without having to refill a kettle, without having to worry about scale or anything like that." Will it have the impact? I hope it will have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you mentioned uh, when we spoke before that you um, you, you focus a bit on CRO as well. So, um, how do you kind of combine CRO with the performance marketing channels uh, to help the business grow? So, with all of that, it's about decreasing the friction within the customer journey and making the path to conversion the most appealing it can be, um, and then sort of utilizing CRO to the boost the performance of each digital channel. So sort of simple things are custom landing pages that aren't just user-friendly, but are relevant to the search ads or paid social ad copy or the targeting group. Um, and then also sort of flipping that around a little bit and sort of using the sort of CRO tools to understand how people interact with the site. That then informs that ad copy and design uh, in the first instance. So that when people click on our ads, um, we know there's people with genuine interest in the product. They're sort of fully understanding what we're offering. Because, you know, before I joined, sort of, there was budget being wasted on uh, terms such as ice maker and coffee machine. Because if you see our products in a shopping ad, it, you know, it, it's a product. And shopping ads has very, you know, Google shopping ads have very limited text on it. So it can, it does look like an ice maker. And so when, you, especially if you're looking on mobile, it's quite a small picture. You've Googled ice maker and you're like, see the Virgin Pure home water system. You're like, oh, probably has an ice maker attached. So it's really drilling down um, to the performance marketing channels uh, and using that data, so understanding how people interact in the site. Like they're using site search to site search for like 
ice making or does this make ice and stuff like that in the FAQ. So, um, and improving the sort of um, conversion rate on the website has a massive benefit for pay search in terms of sort of lowering CPCs uh, and ensuring we spend the budget more efficiently. Um, I mean, we've actually uh, pretty much held our budget steady and decreased in some channels, but we're getting more clicks and conversions than we were previously because we focused heavily on when I before I joined pretty much everything was being driven to the home page and I went through sort of two months of building out um, variations like many many custom landing pages pushing some terms to existing blogs so that you really answering the person's question I think that's really what convert you know CRO comes down to optimizing your conversion rate is when someone is looking for something, they can find it as quickly as possible. There's nothing worse than hit, you know, searching for something, hitting a website, and your answer isn't directly there. You just now you've got to do extra work. And as we've noticed, in our bounce rates decreasing significantly for um, non-brand terms, time on site increasing uh, in in line with them going on more pages through the journey um so it's had an overall beneficial effect of just looking at like that one simple thing of just driving people to landing pages to answer um the questions and it's not a particularly risky or costly tactic um i mean there are businesses out there that you know they have their conversion rate um you know whatever percent it is and to increase sales and just pump more traffic into the top of the funnel rather than looking at how they can get mo the most out of the traffic they're currently getting which again comes back to the you know, having the right tools on your website to see how people are interacting with the page and then you know driving them to the right places so that the traffic you're already generating starts converting in my mind you have to get your cro spot on before because that's how you earn the right to really ramp up your budget is getting your conversion rate higher yeah yeah exactly um and i see this not just with CRO, but also with, you know, email marketing as well with open rates and things. People seem to get this benchmark figure in their heads and they're thinking, this is good. So all we've got to do is get more people to it. So their conversion rate is 5%. They're thinking, great, 5%. If it starts to dip below five, we've got an issue. We need to look into it. But otherwise, if it's around five or higher, we're good. So they just start to pump more money into it and more traffic. And same with open rates. For some reason, I've been I've, I've worked with businesses where, you know, they will expect an open rate of fifteen percent on a campaign. If it's any lower, then it's oh, what went wrong? This is a disaster. You know, we should have hit fifteen percent. Uh, anything over fifteen percent is just fine. Whatever. There's no. There's no real thought process that goes into cool. Fifteen percent is good, or five percent conversion rate is good. How do we make sure this is higher? What would it mean to the business if we got to a seven percent conversion rate? And that's you know that's that's quite a huge decrease in in cost really uh, on, on that budget, or it's a uh, quite a significant improvement in the number of uh, leads or conversions you're going to get through that same amount of, of budget. Yeah, and also there's depreciation returns. The more you increase your budget, it's, if you have a five percent conversion rate, and you start increasing your budget. It's unlikely your conversion rate will stick at five percent. You'll be very lucky because. The more you start pumping to the top, the more you're going to start pulling in the wrong people um, who ha may have less 
sales intent or they might be in the wrong category or if you know you haven't done your CRO correctly they've clicked because it's the, they're searching for something completely different and you've broadened yourself so much that the, the Facebook and Google are sort of going into broader and broader um, sort of target sectors and your conversion rate's going to dip so I think you need to have an, a very very strong conversion rate at a good um, CPA before you can really start pumping money in. and then when you study you've got to do it incremental you do you know x amount in this channel run it for a month or two what's the data look like you can't just start you know going straight for it and really pumping loads of money in because you'll start spending thousands upon thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands and something will go wrong something will break and then suddenly you'll just you have to either rein it really back in or you kind of just keep spending all this money while trying to fix it while spending money and leaking budget um which i've seen you know before you hear about it as well when companies try to scale up too quickly and suddenly their cost of acquisition starts skyrocketing and you know uh, you know you look at companies like we work where they just had to pump billions and billions and billions because you know it was scalable at a certain time they went too quickly uh the cost of acquisition was at more than what the lifetime value of the customer was and you know it just all fell apart really yeah well they almost uh, it's like they scaled in the wrong way wasn't it? It, it instead of having way too much demand and and no product to to actually satisfy that demand they got a huge amount of product available and then wasn't able to fill the uh, spaces yeah and the problem was i, I mean i worked and we were building and we I was at a company for just shy of two years and we bounced around inside this WeWork building to various size offices every six months. And that's when they off the one of the key selling points was short-term contracts. And as we moved around the business, like when I mean, one time we were in one place in six months, our neighbors ended up three different businesses cycles through it in six months. Cause yeah. you know, they just there's no lifetime value. I mean, you look at a lot of the other bigger players who in the office space market. Now, they usually lock you in for two, three-year leases, and then it's like a guaranteed source of income. They were very much on the the short-term startup scale-up who are more likely to fail. Yeah, they're relying on well, that's that's why that culture of uh, you know loads of events, uh, free beer, yeah, uh, you know, free drinks and things. They're using that as incentives to bring in those small companies and make sure that you know even if these companies are churning, new ones are coming through the door. But actually, but that's the problem that comes with the volume is yeah. you can reach a ceiling at some point and you can't, the people who've already cycled through, you can't pull back in. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're reasonably expensive as well. So I imagine a lot of bigger companies who, who would happily commit to a one or two year lease probably looked at the price and thought it's, it's too much. You know, if we, if we want to, if we're going to commit to a, a large office, you, you know, it's it's really expensive. Um, I remember we went to one called Rocket Space, um, which is very very similar. You know, they they did free beers on a Friday as well, um, and a, and a couple of other little perks. And the offices were quite similar as well. Um, but they, I, I can't remember what the what the contract term was, but it was at least six months, if not twelve. I think it might have been twelve with a six month discount or something like that. So they, you know. They they gave all those benefits that WeWork had, but t- tied us into yeah probably a year long contract. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the, also the other problem. I mean, we're quite lucky in our space is that the product we offer it, you can't just jump into the market like the the technology behind it, the production and everything is you know, 
it's nigh impossible for someone really to enter the market without a significant upfront expenditure. While yeah. something like WeWork, where there's not really, you know, there's not really an IP behind it. It's they have a building, they make it a bit, you know, uh, funky. And there's, but there's now tons of those, like space and um, there's a few others as well, but there's lots of those sort of shared office space companies coming out now. Um, yeah. Well, there was, I don't know how well they're doing since the pandemic, but you know, I noticed it more and more. It's because there's a low barrier to entry. You just need to have enough capital to buy some office space and partition it up and then start bringing people in. We're also seeing more and more that, the actual employees care less and less about those perks that companies like WeWork provide. You know, when you see job specs, well, I mean, I'm not applying for jobs, but <laughs> you see, I see posts on LinkedIn about it. Um, you know, people saying they don't really care about the free beer or the free snacks anymore. Um, probably more so, I guess, because of the pandemic, people want that work-life balance. You know, they want to be able to work flexibly. Uh, they want to work remotely if they can. Um, those are the important perks and benefits that people want now, not just some beer at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens with WeWork over the next year or so. And that sort of comes, I mean, nice about to, that's how like they're, with the optimising their conversion rate is, is looking at that sort of stuff. What, you know, those sort of perks at the start was what was getting people converting, you know. Yeah, it was exciting to work in WeWork because you had the free beer and they put on the lunch, the breakfasts, on a Monday and they did this and that and that got business to convert but I said now people are like actually I'd rather be spend more time at home I'd rather get in a little bit early and leave a bit late to pick my kids up and it, unless we work and pivot towards that somehow the, com- the conversion rate is going to tank uh, because less and less businesses are going to care about the the fluffy stuff on the side yeah and also potentially you're going to have uh, you know smaller offices you know, I, I, I know companies who have who've given up offices, moved to spaces kind of like WeWork, but instead of hiring out an office for 200 people, they're hiring out hot desks for 50. Yeah. And then just saying, look, if you, you know, come in once or, you know, once or twice a week, um, but do it as teams. So, you know, let, let's have marketing in on these days uh, or, or DevOps or something on these days and just make use of the space. But the majority of the time, people are going to be at home. So even renting out that space is going to be more difficult because uh, companies no longer feel the need to to have a desk per, per, per person anymore. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that, that scales across a lot of businesses. Um, I mean, for us, it's definitely um, worked in a way quite nicely. People are spending more time at home. So the perk of... You know, we have a lot of businesses that have our product in their offices, you know, numerous of the products and you know, people drink a lot of water at work, you know, meeting around the water coolers, a sort of thing. Um, and also does you know, the hard drinks. And we've seen a lot of people recently when sort of polling, like, uh, you know, went to his, uh, oh, there was one at my work. And that like, so you, you defer from that, that there was one at their work. Now they're spending more time working from home. They want that same service and they saw they we do it for home as well um which is you know a, a little string that we haven't really pulled out as much as i'd like to is that real you know you've you got your you've got your go to school go back to school campaigns and sort of what did a work from home like you know 
not the battle work, but the opposite is okay, you've been working at home for more, you need you want to be hydrated because hydrated people work better. Here's a system for it, sort of thing. Um, and I feel we're still, I think, with the whole panic of everything going, everything's still a bit up in there, a bit juggled, even though we seem to be fully out of it. You just there's always that feeling you never know what's around the corner. Um and so it's it's quite a difficult one just because there a lot of people don't know what their if their business is gonna start mandating everyone to be back. And if that's the case, people can start looking possibly for work where it is more flexible. And then if you're looking for work, you're less likely to make bigger purchases because you don't know how long you might need to sit on your savings or how long your next paycheck needs to last. So there's a lot of variables. Uh, they're coming back to that data thing, a lot of variables you've got to look at. Um so yeah, it's quite an interesting one. I'd love if there was more data around you said about job specs. If someone did a whole breakdown of job specs and you know, from six months ago to now, how many job specs have flexible work and a work from home two, three days a week in and compared to before? Because I'd love to see that data to be like, oh, okay, it's increased two hundred percent. So there's gonna be a lot more work from home. So actually drilling a work from home campaign doing work from home landing pages, having emails around it is something to really focus on. If it's actually a lot of, you know, if it's looking like the same as pre-pandemic where most businesses are saying, yeah, it's back to the office as soon as you can, then you don't, people aren't going to really want to get something for home that they're only going to use in the evening yeah. or weekends, you know. There's a, that's a, there's a lot to balance out there. I bet that data's there. Some, someone will have done a study on it. Yeah, it got hit up the recruiters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so someone would have done a study by now to 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 look into that to see how many more how many companies uh, or, or probably yeah how many companies who used to uh, not provide flexible working are now adding flexible working to their job specs. Yeah, yeah, I probably that's probably something I should, I should give that a Google afterwards. Uh, see if yeah. there is that out there. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, just one more thing I want to touch on on the CRO side of things. Um, obviously, uh, you guys come under the Virgin brand, um, which is pretty pretty massive worldwide brand. Um, how how important or what sort of impact do you think just just having that Virgin brand um, has has given the business sort of a boost? It's, it's huge. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, you know, every, everyone. I'd be surprised if there are very few people in this country who haven't heard of Virgin in one guise or another. Um, and it is huge because it gives you that straightaway brand awareness um, beyond just us being Virgin Pure. So people sort of are aware that Virgin do a system to do with water. So we can pick up a lot of uh, things around that, people searching around that they may not know the name Virgin Pure, but they know that Virgin do a water system. And we see a lot of that leaking into search terms and then we got also sort of the benefits of the wider brand stuff so a bit a great example is the recent um richard going into space um there's huge brand activation around that for the whole for every single brand um sort of huge campaigns in um in train stations they had the the big billboards running um a specific campaign all the brands we were sort of getting together and having uh, a brainstorming so the the master sort of group company had a campaign that they fed down to all of us that we're pushing out via our socials. So there's a lot of synergy. Um, there's a, a lot of possible synergy between the Virgin brands and a lot of possible bleed between them. Um, 
and it is great. It's um, it does have its negative as well. The, you know, as with any big brand, you have its detractors, but I think they're there few and far between compared to the people who are actually quite big advocates of the Virgin brand. Yeah, I mean, if it had a noticeable downside, uh, they wouldn't launch so many businesses under the Virgin brand. I mean, I, I used to work with uh, uh, Virgin Virgin Games, and I helped launch Virgin Bet a bit later. So you know. It, they're obviously pretty confident that there's far more upside to the brand. Um, I suppose for you guys, actually, you, you know, you mentioned that referral uh, referral numbers earlier. That's probably quite impacted by um, by the Virgin brand. Yeah, massively. I mean, you can imagine sort of uh, if people are having a conversation, they've got machine, and we do find that people love the system when they have it. And it's not just me saying it, but I mean, when we do our services, people come to us and they're leaving reviews about. How I, I say life changing is probably a bit, bit uh, OTT, but I mean, there are people who turned around and said they were spent, they were buying bottled water for families of four and five, and they were spending thousands a year on bottled water and chucking away, you know, upwards of 10 plastic bottles a day, sort of thing, um, because the tap water in the area was that grim. Um, and they're like, the system's completely changed how their family operates. Everyone, you know, they drink, they don't have the plastic waste, they don't have anywhere near the cost. And we do obviously like face-to-face customer groups and stuff like that. And you do hear some of the stories that I've done sort of like looking back on it. It, it massively surprised me going into the business. I thought, I, I, I like the water in my area, to be honest, is pretty grim. Um, and I saw, you know, I had the, the jug water filter before, but to be honest, after about the first two months, I just got fed up of having to change the filter, having to fill it and then stick it in the fridge during the hot months and, you know, waiting quite a while for it to cool down to the temperature that actually felt refreshing. And I got one of the systems installed and it, honestly, the amount of water I drink now compared to, you know, before I joined, it's, it's a massive increase. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do, you, uh, do you guys uh, do like a comparison at all on the website? So do you, do you compare your product versus the, the jugs? Yeah, yeah. One, one, of the, one of the many hundreds of landing pages I worked on when I first joined is um, sort of side-by-side product comparison um, between us, filter jugs, uh, and the tap filter sort of looking at the differences between them. Um, and it's quite surprising. Obviously, the system is more expensive than a filter jug. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie. But the, then it's the convenience benefit, as I said. You know, if you've got a family of four uh, filling a filter jug and then cooling, that filter jug will be gone in the first round of drinks. Yeah. And you've got to refill it, stick it back in the fridge, wait for it to cool. And then, you know, if you've got, again, family of four, which, you know, we base a lot of stuff on family four because it's still, you know, the average sort of size and quite big in our customer space. Um, you know, you're changing the filter pretty regularly and you know, that can stack up and the the waste the plastic waste off of the change in the filters um and then you know as if, if you leave your jug around it builds up you've got to clean it as well we all with our system with a uv lamp in ours you kill the bacteria in the water you know before you press the button sort of thing so you know no long no matter how long that water has been sitting in the tank you can go away for a month on holiday come back knowing when you press the button the water that's coming out of it is going to be filtered and purified and you know you probably couldn't leave a filter jug for a month in your fridge and then drink the water i, I, I wouldn't i mean i'm not no scientist but i just have 
personally you just don't know um so yeah it, it's the the yeah it's, it's pretty big for us the friend referral sort of things and then that's the thing there's so many benefits from it people start talking about it and they start you know saying i've got this virgin that's the thing and that's where it comes back to going about the virgin brand they'll say i've got this virgin they won't they might you know they might remember virgin, but they're like oh, i've got this virgin water system at home they might not remember the pure yeah but as long as they know the virgin bit they're going to find us yeah yeah absolutely and uh and yeah like we said you know just having that virgin virgin brand at the start means that people are probably just just more likely to even just take a look right even if they're not really convinced about buying it for themselves or or whatever just the fact that it's a virgin brand means they go oh do you know what? i'll i'll google it anyway and just have a look yeah and i think it helps with the ads if it's a recognized if you're scrolling through your facebook and instagram feeds and you know the ads are every three or four posts if you don't recognize a brand it kind of it doesn't clock in your mind. You suddenly see Virgin and it might clock a bit quick in your mind. You've already got that subconscious awareness of the brand. And for some people, it would definitely cause them to stop, especially those who have positive experiences with the other Virgin companies. If they've had good experience with Virgin Media or um, uh, Virgin Atlantic or you know, even around when there was all the press around Virgin Galactic, it's, it's all subconsciously see- seeping into people's minds. And hope you know we definitely do see a benefit around it. Yeah, cool. Um, just moving on a little bit. Then, uh, what's it? Kind of sounds like you, you've made a lot of changes. Uh, you've made a lot of improvements. But what's been one of the biggest challenges recently? I mean, being a purely digital D 2 C brand means we are at the mercy of technology. Uh, a glitch in Google, such as the recent shopping ad delivery uh, screw up they had. You know, a server outage there spiking Facebook CPMs here, you know, daily sales can get massively impacted by that, or the cost of acquisition can massively spike. Um, While we're not overly reliant on one channel, one channel messing up can still hit hard, uh, especially for something like Facebook, which not only drives direct conversion, but generates a lot of the top of the funnel brand awareness and first engagements for us. So, I mean, that's, that's the challenges, especially um with websites as well you want to layer as much of technology in the background to see what people are doing on your sites uh you know your tag managers your analytics your cro programs uh and uh, every bit of script and everything that's firing off slows your site down a bit so it's sort of balancing out all of that stuff together while also making sure your site is optimized for google which is you know still one of the biggest channels um for us and you know if you start if google starts seeing your websites not being as optimized for mobile slow or something like that you get massively penalized and can start really dropping down especially with paid um your if your landing page quality score starts dipping your cpcs will start spiking so there's so much around that and that's the biggest challenge is balancing everything out so that making one change doesn't negatively impact something else and cause a spike somewhere else yeah, make makes sense really. Um, do, do you do any sort of uh, offline activations? You know, like, um, I can see it working well. You know, where it's, it's always Sky in shopping malls. Yeah, we do actually. That you mentioned it, we have um, we have Westfield, so the Westfield shopping centres. Okay. We have a load of machines plumbed in there. So they you know, we haven't got people standing around trying to flog them. It's more they're there. There's a nice little sign saying free. You know, fill up your water bottle here. 
Oh, okay. So instead of a like a sales uh, opportunity, you're literally just providing the water fountains for yeah. like Westfield. Yeah. So they get to te- they get to test the product out instead of us saying, "Look, here's how amazing it is." You, you know, if you're in the Westfield shopping center, you can press the button, you can get your chilled water, and it has you know it has impact. We do see again come back. We do poll quite a lot on how people found us. Why did they buy us, or where did they first see us before they bought us? And Westfield does crop up. I mean, it's not. You know, it's not the you know, it's not in the top four or five channels, but yeah, it's still there as a first touch point. And it's also good. You get some bits of organic social people snapping themselves, uh, refilling out. We had Holly Holly Branson was in Westfield not that long ago, snapping herself, um, filling off that, you know, she's got quite a big following and that gets quite a lot of organic reach. Um so yeah. Uh, aside from that, we are, and I said, we are purely generally focused, and that, that's more of a legacy thing. We are purely focused on digital. I think, again, um, when you've got to look at where your money's going, out of home can be a bit of a what impact did it have? Uh, it can be a lot harder to track. You can track it in some ways, um, but we don't do, say, discount code. So we can't plaster posters everywhere with a discount coupon and then track how many times the coupon's used. We could do more, I mean, we might look to do more regional stuff and just say, okay, if we ran an ad in Newcastle, you know, plastered ourselves around Newcastle, look at in GA, did we have a spike in visits from Newcastle around the time that the ads were running? But at the moment, said, we're looking at our CRO on the web on that website and our digital channels and trying to improve that. Again, you've got I feel you've got to earn the right to do those more brand focused pieces by getting um the conversion right. Because say we did go out and did huge campaigns, TV and all this, and driving tons of people to the website, and then our CRO, you know, isn't on point. We haven't got the right landing pages, our website isn't operating, you know, start driving all these people who have negative experience who then don't buy and then pass on bad word of mouth. You know, I feel you've got to get everything right and earn the right to do the bigger pieces. I think some of them, some of them can be tougher, you know, obviously like radio in particular um, and, and probably TV as well, where, you know, you have to be quite quick quick and short with the URL because that, adver- that advert's going to end. They're going to move on to the next thing. You know, it's quite a big ask to get someone to pause the TV, rewind it, rewind it to the advert to see where that URL was. But I've got a client. Yeah, I'm surprised if anyone did. (laughs) Yeah, um, I've got a client who's doing quite direct response uh, newspaper ads. And it's generally, you know, website URL slash the newspaper name. Yeah. Um, And that's their attribution for it. Um, And they also have a specific phone number, actually, um, for those adverts. And that's working really, really well for them. And they're able to pretty accurately track back the performance to that advertisement. Yeah, I think it's, it's, you see it very much the same with um, the channels. They usually can have uh, their brand .tv or .com slash TV um, as their brand. I mean, I, th- I feel if you do .tv, you kind of force people to then um, go via that channel. Because if you do slash, they might just do virginpure.com, enter and forget the slash TV. But if they're like virginpure.tv and they think that's a genuine web address, then you're more likely to catch them. But yeah, it's, I think there, there are a lot of ways around it. Um, and actually the, the newspaper one is, is quite interesting on that. Um, but yeah, it's, you always hear about the death of more traditional, uh, media channels, uh, like TV and stuff like that. So I think it's quite a difficult one. Um, cause I said, you do want to get your digital side right. Cause that's where everyone is these days. Uh, and I think you can see it. I mean, 
shit personally where you know, i said i only joined uh about six months ago so when i was job hunting you know every other job in marketing seemed to be digitally focused for businesses that they're like literally the number of times i read this will be our first hire for someone purely to look after the digital space i read that so many times it's just was unbelievable compared to any other job hunt i've had in the last uh, 12 13 years yeah i mean i've i've worked in startups before so that it's it's always been kind of this would be one of our first hires in marketing but to see this is one of our first digital specific hires um also it does seem quite surprising it's so many it's it's a it's one of the fallouts of the pandemic is so many traditional businesses looked and saw people now everything's shifting online we didn't have our people in the office so call centers were a bit you know logged up or people who had concession stands in your shops um and stuff like that a friend of mine has a business and they're more before the pandemic they they were wholesale and so they sold into like cookware shops and stuff like that and he said because of the pandemic their online they really ramped up their online presence and they've just paid massive dividends because people couldn't go to their cookware shops to buy plates cutlery etc etc so they started looking online to just purchase and you know his businesses business took advantage of that and i think a lot of traditional businesses are looking at that and going okay we need a digital presence this is how you survive in this day and age yeah well a lot again pandemic related lots and lots of um uh suppliers of restaurants turned to d2c and turned to turn to e-commerce because they still had to clear their stock and they're no longer selling all those ingredients and things to restaurants, so they've got to sell them to the public. And I think a lot of businesses did really, really well out of that. And I, yeah. I, I wonder if some of them will maybe not give up the restaurant side, the, the B2B side, but definitely keep focusing on that B2C side because they've seen that it, it works and they can, they can support it. And the margins will probably be significantly better because, you know, because when you're selling wholesale, you're, you know, generally if you're selling on to someone who's then going to sell it on again, everyone's got margins. If you're selling yeah. direct, just, you know, you don't need to worry too much about margins. You, you're skipping the middleman, but putting the price up there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you know, if you're selling something for a fiver and then the company you're saying no one sells it for a tenner, you know, and it costs you two pounds to make, you're making three quid. If you sell it direct, you sell it for a tenner, you're making eight quid. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Seven quid, you know. So, I think there's where a lot of businesses and even in the service industries now that everyone's so more used to doing zoom and teleconference and stuff like that where you might have gone into you know inside to a business you walked into a state agent or a lawyer or something like that i've noticed a lot of those sort of businesses really focusing on having more of a providing a service online that could have traditionally been a face-to-face thing yeah yeah exactly um, cool. So just, just before we finish then, uh, is there anyone in the, 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 the D2C marketing space that you'd like to have lunch with? I mean, he, he, there's a guy called Ben Francis. He is the guy who set up Gymshark uh, okay. and he's still there as a CEO. I mean, he's, he's not purely marketing, but I mean, it's a guy who entered a pretty competitive market and turned a business that he literally started in his parents' garage to global brands worth over a billion pounds. And is literally one of the biggest names when it comes to sort of sports uh, or gym clothing. And one of the big reasons for that was he got on the influencer bandwagon like really before it became a bit, well, it's massively oversaturated. Now you really can't get your money's worth that much out of it. It's been a thing for five, 
no, six, 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 seven years, I'd say, yeah. like, in, as actual like influencer marketing as opposed to just uh, like advertising before. Um, yeah. But yeah, they they absolutely nailed it, didn't they? Oh yeah, like he was. They just got it right. Oh, he was all over it. Um, I was sort of. It's it also an interesting story because his brand was first pushed out there as like a not unisex, but they did men and women's clothing. But I mean, it's now pretty much I can't remember I go to the gym quite a lot and I travel for competitions and stuff and I never see people wearing guys wearing gym shark but you know every ego all the, all the women are wearing gym shark clothes it's like a whole thing so it's, it's very interesting where he he also quickly pivoted he saw you know he did he had all the the clothes he saw actually you know the people who love my clothes more and are wearing them more the, the women so he massively pivoted his business towards that and I think that's what I know it'd be really good to just like pick his brain and how how did you look at it? how did you understand that was the way to go why did you not just be like trying to double down on increasing your share within men and sort of keep it more of an even kill than sort of really going uh quite hard towards where you saw the opportunity and just like really understand that because i said they're generally purely a dc business as well and they've then moved into other markets so sort of understanding how they decided to diversify um what products they because there's so many other products in the gym market what products did they decide to do why did they decide to do it it's um yeah i can imagine the conversation with him would be massively enlightening yeah definitely uh it'd be actually really interesting to see whether in other countries they've done the opposite and they've targeted men more or whether there is a more even balance you know if it, yeah. basically if it differs per country um or whether it's the same trend everywhere yeah no i think that's that's always quite an interesting thing is uh, at Virgin Pure, we're very much, we're, you know, we're not UK centric, we're sort of um, Great Britain centric. Um, so we don't really have any sort of, but then we have to try and understand entering into like the German market, the French market or the US market. Uh, we're very much focused just here. Um, but I've worked at businesses where there is a consideration and it, it's crazy that, you know, when it comes to like ad copy creatives even the style and imagery and landing pages and stuff like that it's you kind of got to have complete pretty much build different looking websites depending on where in the world you're targeting you can't to be really successful you can't just be one size fits all and just you know drive everyone to the .co.uk .com and have everyone have uh, the same images and the same copy and stuff it you know varies massively yeah yeah absolutely you've got to localize it yeah, massively. I think I think the hyper personalization, so localizing it even within country is something that I really love to start testing, especially over here, because you now we did a piece of content recently looking at where in the UK was like the hardest water, because you find the hard water areas are generally better performing areas for us. So start really personalizing the website so we know from a person's IP address they're in this part of the country. So really tailoring the content on the website and the messaging. Uh, depending on where they are, because there's certain areas in the country where there's more chlorine in the water and you know, all that sort of stuff and really personalising around that. I think that's like the pinnacle in my mind when it comes to sort of uh, CRO and personalisation. It's like that real intricate personalisation, but it's so difficult to pull off. Yeah. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like that, that personalisation is so important. Um, even, I mean, it's probably more at a country level, but uh, knowing what payment methods are, are popular or yeah. I mean some of it is almost like regulatory um 
And actually, I've got one example. Uh, what was it? Postcodes, right? So we have quite, from what I understand, we have quite a unique postcode system here in the UK where our postcodes will be almost a building in certain areas. So in central London, a, a postcode is quite often a building. Um, whereas uh, where I live now, a post, the postcode is the my side of the road. Yeah. Right. But it still covers quite a few houses along there. But in other countries, the postcode's the area. Like quite a, you know, you know, a, a few streets, a few blocks. Right. So when uh, one of the companies I was at, they built, a, they were rebuilding the platform. And when they sent the test versions over to us to have a look at, um, they used Google Maps to uh, API for their uh, address finder, which doesn't work in the UK. <laughs> because you, uh, it didn't use postcode, I think. Which bit was it lacking? Basically, you couldn't actually get your exact address auto filled in with this thing, and they didn't. Oh, wow. And they they didn't build in initially the function to just type your address in manually. So that ended up with loads of conversations trying to explain to these tech teams based out in France, uh, France and Spain, I think, that our postcode system works differently, and. The way they built it meant that UK uh, UK users couldn't actually sign up and create an account if we'd gone live with this thing. Yeah, I mean that shows shows sort of uh, the the beauty of need being able to test this stuff as well. Um, yeah. you, you hear about sort of before where they sort of people rush stuff out and then really test it and then it doesn't work. But yeah, it's that localization and the fact that you know I think in the states it's very much the same where they're. Uh, postcode system is a much broader area. I remember reading somewhere, I think it's in New York, only a handful of buildings have their own zip code. Otherwise, it covers quite a broad area, you know, because they're quite build high mentality there. You know, a zip code can cover tens of thousands of people and businesses and addresses and stuff. So you're like, yeah, narrowing it down with that. Well, here, you know, said the postcode can cover, you know, a handful of people, you know, probably not more than a hundred or so people, I'd say in general, especially if you're outside of the cities. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could get away probably with, if you sent a letter to me with just my house number and my postcode, it would get to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, no other information. You don't need, probably don't need the street, don't need the actual town, just that, the house number and the postcode yeah. and that'll get to me. Yeah. Cause the, yeah, you said the postcodes are down pretty much to a street level over here. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, interesting. It's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, uh, cool. So uh, just just a final question before we finish yeah. is uh, I think we've just hit an hour. I think we're coming mm. up to um, what are what are a couple of marketing tools that you use every day? Uh, so I start with the Google Suite is a big one. So you got like GSC, GA three hundred and sixty, GA four, Google Optimize, Google Web Dev, Google Ads, to name but a few. I mean Google, it's a um, huge amount, and it comes back to sort of what I first started talking about data. They just give you so much data and so much opportunity to really learn about how things are going, how people are trying to find you, what they're doing when they do find you, uh, being able to customize it based on what they've done previously. Um, then I use a system called Force24, which is our email marketing system, because uh, you need a good email marketing system that you can send personalized campaigns from, because um, you know any business will start collecting the data of people who didn't purchase and um, you need to be able to start converting those people. And then finally is a system called Lucky Orange, which is a CRO suite. 
Uh, and it's probably the one thing, if I ever speak to anyone in marketing, I'm like, get this system. Um, you know, it will set you back around 20 to $50 a month. And it's got, you know, your heat map, your scroll maps, your click maps, um, you know, all that data that can help you see how people are actually interacting with your website in a granular detail. So you can really hone in and improve your user journey. You can run polls through it. Uh, understand why people decided not to buy, why did they buy, what more information could you have given them. Uh, and then it's got live chat built in, so you can trigger it. Uh, so you, you can literally watch people on the website. You can see someone hold, you know, on a page, they're clicking, they're trying to find more information, you can literally pop a live chat up and go, hi, can I help you? Um, so for any size of business, from the smallest to the biggest, I think it's, it's something that you need um, to really supercharge your CRO. Yeah, I've used uh, Hotjar quite a lot. Which is which is really similar, um, yeah. but also I've used one of my clients uses Microsoft Clarity, which yeah. I've, I've used a, I've used a little bit and it's looking really good and it's free. I like their rage click mechanic. That's brilliant. Uh, rage clicks and dead clicks. Although yeah. the dead click one I'm finding less useful because it tends to just be random clicks on the page. Um, it, it's not. I haven't seen many people attempting to click something expecting it to click and it's not clicking it's generally like it's literally a random click in the middle of the page somewhere so someone's probably just accidentally clicked yeah i've also found when it first, i haven't used it for when it first had that it was it sort of picks because obviously when you touch the screen to scroll it was kind of like on a mobile device it's sort of thinking that was a click and you kind of like you kind of start looking and going oh it's just someone yeah scrolling uh like oh yeah so it was um you know i like clarity uh i think it's still very much in the early stages so compared to the other pieces of software yeah fair enough but i, I think they're going to really start rolling that i mean they've been doing huge things to the bing advertising platform they've really ramped that up to the point where it's actually you know it's going to be more than just a a, a nice to have it's going to be starting to be a bit more essential okay yeah i've not uh i've not touched anything with bing for years now um but i think it's i think it's still quite popular out in the us isn't it more in the us than here yeah it's if you're b2b even in the uk if you're b2b it's you have to be on it because so many businesses with um their policies with like work machines and stuff like that most they have you have kind of they don't let you download stuff like chrome you have to use what comes built in which is usually ie or edge, edge. now yeah um and so, yeah, a lot of, especially in the financial industries where you pretty much can't customize your uh, work machine. Um, yeah, so B2B, I think B2C, yeah, it's, it's still all right, but it's for the older market, I found. Like, if you look at the data on it, there's generally people who don't know how to download Chrome or don't trust downloading Chrome, so they just use what comes built in. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Cool. Um, awesome. Cool. This has been uh, really fascinating stuff. Loved learning about uh, Virgin Pure. Uh, if anyone wanted to kind of reach out and, and ask you some questions or anything, what's uh, what's the best way of getting in touch? Yeah, so uh, easily findable on LinkedIn, uh, Christopher Han. Just uh, look for the Christopher Han that works for Virgin Pure. Uh, otherwise, the other Christopher Hans will get a bit confused. Um, or you can, if anyone uh, really wants to, they can email me at chris.han at virginpure.com. Uh, more than happy to sort of have any conversations with anyone uh, about anything to do with marketing. Cool. Awesome. That's great. All right. Thanks, Chris. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time. So data has been the most important factor in growth for Virgin Pure, not just ensuring the accuracy of data from Google, Facebook, Google Analytics, et cetera, 
but also being able to overlay external data to understand what has caused changes in performance, whether good or bad, and identify opportunities that are coming up. As Chris mentioned, knowing when paydays are, knowing how the weather will impact performance, and knowing when certain seasons are in progress, such as construction, can all have significant impacts on your advertising. But it's not just knowing when these are going to happen. It's also important to tailor the messaging to them to really get the best possible performance. If you'd like to speak to Chris more about how they use data, reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Jason Wong joining me. Uh, he's going to talk about how he's very quickly grown dough lashes into a seven-figure business by focusing on the customer experience. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Thank you.